some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch. That means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. You can find us at 615-737-1045. 737-1045. Say it every night. Bless beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Hope this finds you and yours doing exceedingly well in your lives. Should you wish to share triumph or look for some answers, you can always hit me up on Twitter at jmartzone. Wide open DMs for faith-based conversations in particular. So there are many things happening in sports right now. It's a fun time. NBA started last night. I want to talk about the big game from last night a little bit later on in the program. Coaches are still talking in college football because that's what they do. One in particular that can't seem to stay out of his own way. And I want to touch on that. I want to look at the NFL MVP race, even though it's a little bit early to be looking at it, but there are some guys that are starting to step away and stand out from the pack. There are a lot of things going on. But since I haven't been on, unless you've listened to the Quick Six, which a lot of you are, a lot of you have jumped right on board with that podcast. If you have not, Quick Six, or if you've never even heard of it, Quick Six is my reaction to the football weekend that pops up Monday afternoon, sometimes Monday mornings, depending on uh, at what point I actually record it. And it's just everything I got about college and the NFL that took place over the weekend. Of course, we do spend a lot of time on the local teams, but we talk about the national landscape. I give you a top 10 in college football and go down every single thing that took place and just evaluate it from my perspective. But I haven't gotten to talk about this Titans win because I haven't been on these airwaves yet this week until today. And so three and four is a lot better than two and five. I'm not a math major, but I feel like that one's I feel like it's pretty standard. But I look at it and I think four and four is a must. Because there are too many games on the Titans' schedule that feel like losses or that feel like they could definitely be losses still to come. You have to take advantage of the way the schedule lays out for you over the next month with all these home games. You have to take advantage of Nissan Stadium. You have to win so that more of your fans buy tickets later on down the stretch, and it actually becomes more of a home field advantage, unlike what we saw, for instance, against the Buffalo Bills a couple of weeks ago. But you've got to beat a Bucks team that's in a similar quarterback spot to you 
maybe even worse. Their guys, one thing Mariota didn't do, even though he did it in his last start, he turned it over twice against the Denver Broncos. Their guys turned it over an awful lot. That same day he turned it over twice, Jameis Winston threw five interceptions for Tampa Bay. They've got a great offensive mind in Bruce Arians, and they've got a plethora of weapons and some just stellar wide receiving targets. They don't have a running game in the same way that Tennessee does with Derrick Henry. And they have an improved defense. Shaq Barrett, one of the better players in the league, really. And at his age, it's stunning. But if you look at the things that he's done from a statistical standpoint, it really stands out. Your defense is really good. That's what you know going in. But there's a time for the Tennessee Titans to stop being the most unpredictable team in the NFL and to actually become a good team. I don't know if we are at that time yet. You know how I feel. I believe that the season ended in Denver because of the loss to Buffalo the week before, coupled with what happened against the Broncos. But you still have a chance to win the division. I don't think you're getting a wild card. So you have to win the division, and you're already way behind. You're 0-2. Last week I said you were the fourth best team in the AFC South. Now I'm willing to say you're the third. Gardner Minshew's come back down to earth. Yes, they beat the Bengals. The Bengals are terrible. Absolutely atrocious on the field. And Gardner Minshew's numbers are very, very average at this point. He's fine, but not much else. And Jacksonville always seems to be teetering on the brink of disaster. I think they're a little better, and their defense is better. And by a little better, I mean a little better than what they were last year when they completely fell apart. This defense is a little bit more cohesive than last year. And maybe there was addition by subtraction because Jalen Ramsey hated Tom Coughlin so much that he had to find a way to get out of town. So now you're third. Because the Colts beat the Texans, which is something I predicted. I had a good week. If you listen to the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio, I think I only got two games wrong this past week. And I called this one. I thought the Colts would get the Texans, even though I think the Texans are a great team with an MVP candidate at quarterback. But I've I've always told you that I really like Jacoby Brissett. And I think Chris Ballard has done one of the best jobs in the last 15 or 20 years and what he's done in assembling this team around the quarterback spot, whoever the quarterback was. At the time, he thought he was assembling it around an MVP-level player in Andrew Luck, but Jacoby Brissett's not a scrub, and he proved that on Sunday. Texans' defense is not that bad. They're not great, but they're not that bad. But those two teams, to me, are still a measure above the Tennessee Titans. But here's the difference between a team that is still basically Sandra Bullock in bird box wearing a blindfold and seeking uneasily the future and a team that's taken a step in the right direction. And it's something that when you think about the Tennessee Titans, this is the thing that's been missing for far too long. It's stringing wins together that include different subsets of NFL franchises, meaning teams that you should beat And a few surprises. You can't get on the mountaintop and beat the Patriots and the Eagles like you did last year, for instance, and then come back down to earth against bottom-feeding teams. You can't disappear against the also-rans after you've shown up in the penthouse. 
the first thing that a good football team, or really a good any team, a good team in any sport, the first sign of a team on the rise, a team that you might start to classify as good, is that they win all the games that they're supposed to win. Yes, there's the any given Sunday mentality of the NFL. But we saw on Monday night what a great football team looks like in New England because they don't generally lose to anybody they're not supposed to lose to. And really, they don't generally lose very often to anybody, period. But the first step is you've got to win the games you're supposed to win. You've got to beat the bad teams consistently. Not 50% of the time, not 60% of the time. You've got to be in that 80, 90, 100 range to really be classified as a good team. And then you have to take further measures to either compete against or even sometimes upset the elite teams. You got to be in every game. And if you look at the Tennessee Titans over the last couple of years in particular, so we'll just look at the Mike Vrabel era for now, but this, you can extrapolate this way further back if you would like to. Last year, the two best performances arguably of the entire season for the Tennessee Titans were against Tom Brady's New England Patriots and Carson Wentz's Philadelphia Eagles, the defending champs at the time. At that moment, the Eagles still looked to be pretty good. We would find out later in the season they weren't, but they still had weapons, and Wentz had a good day, and you beat him in overtime with that throw to Corey Davis. And then Tom Brady basically waved the white flag, and the Patriots just gave it to you in that game. They're like, okay, you got us today. You're better than us today. And it was a shocking win for pretty much everybody in the country. And then this year, think about the teams that you've shown up against and the teams that you haven't shown up against. The Browns, a hype team. Then you don't show up against the Jags. You don't look very good against Jacoby Brissett and the Colts at home the day that you're retiring the jerseys and numbers of Eddie George and Steve McNair. It's not going particularly well for you. Then you don't show up against the Bills, and the Bills had a good record, but they're the Bills. So I don't know how seriously you were looking at them. And then you beat Atlanta, which at the time you thought might have been something. Now you realize it's not. That defense is atrocious. And then you show up on Sunday against Phillip Rivers, who had the best season of his career last year, and a Chargers team that was coming off a playoff run with playoff aspirations. You got them when they were beaten up, for sure, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But again, that's what I'm saying. You have to take advantage of situations. If you want to be a good football team, you have to take advantage of every situation that comes your way. Doesn't mean that you're rooting for bad things to happen, but if things go your way, then you have to actually take the football and run it into the end zone and score touchdowns and win football games. And so you think about the Bucks coming into town, and I saw Marcus Spears on ESPN suggest that Jameis Winston's a top five quarterback when he brings his best. Marcus Spears needs to back off just a little bit. Top five? I don't think so. But if you look at the next three home games, it's three out of the next four that you get at home. The lone trip is to Carolina, which is not going to be an easy trip because Carolina's got a defense and they've got an MVP candidate of their own. But you get Tampa at home. They're teetering, okay? You get Mahomes, we think, because he's out here throwing in practice today with Kansas City, which is unbelievable. So you assume he's probably back, but at least you get him at home. And then you get the Jaguars at home. 
when you have three or four and actually four or five, and you started this thing out right, four or five home games, you started it out right by beating the Chargers. So now you have to keep this up. This is what I'm talking about. You have to string wins together. You have to become a consistent team for something other than being inconsistent. You saw good things on Sunday from Ryan Tannehill. What we knew about Ryan Tannehill was he was capable of winning games in this league. He's capable of throwing touchdowns. He can be accurate. He can get the ball out of his hands. He does read progressions. He can do some things on the field. That's why he has a job in the NFL. I'm not suggesting in any way, nor is anybody else, I would say, that he's a savior because of one game. But that was a nice performance. Now he needs to back that up and do it again. And Derrick Henry was efficient. I'd say hand him the ball a little bit more against Tampa Bay. But the way they spread the ball around to all the receivers on Sunday, maybe you do keep it in Tannehill's hands. All Tannehill has to do is not turn it over and score a couple of touchdowns. That's all it takes with a defense the way that this Tennessee Titans defense is playing. This Titans defense mixed with the propensity for the Tampa Bay offense to turn the football over, that is a recipe for a Titans double-figure win. That doesn't mean that's what's going to happen, but it's set up for you to be able to do that, and that's what you need to do. You've got them at home. You just won a game that you had to win, but basically you're in a situation right now where most of the games that are coming up, you have to win because you're already 0-2 in the division. You know you've got Houston two of the last three weeks, and in the middle of that Houston sandwich is Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints, one of the probably three best teams in the league right now, certainly three best teams in the NFC, and that's without Brees. With Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, they're still one of the three best teams in the NFC. You've got the Raiders on the road, and they're not terrible. And, of course, you've got Indianapolis, and maybe you can finally exercise those demons. But you're sitting in third in the AFC South, and right now I think that's exactly what you are. But there were some good things about Sunday's performance. This is not me trying to rain on the parade. This is saying that if the Tennessee Titans want me, and they probably don't care, but I'm behind a microphone, and so I'm able to say this. If the Tennessee Titans want me to take them seriously, then they've got to start stringing together wins against the good teams and the bad teams and the mediocre teams and competing against the elite of the elite. And we've seen them play up to competition and down to competition. That must change. This team's not good enough to look at competition as up and down. One thing that's really intriguing in the wake of what New England did to the Jets on Monday is, oh, look at their schedule. Look at the Patriots' schedule. They've played absolutely nobody this is a sham of a 7-0 record. They beat the Steelers, the Dolphins, the Jets twice, the Bills, the Redskins, and the Giants. One, they've got to play who's on their schedule. Yes, that's an easy schedule. But there's something that needs to be added to this. And yes, objectively, these are not the best teams in the league. In fact, they're among the worst. But how many teams could New England play where you would say, Hmm, now that's an impressive win for New England to have beaten them. New England has become so good and so consistent that they have taken the vast majority of teams that at one point you might have been able to classify as somebodies and turn them into nobodies. And then you can make that same argument and say, oh, the Patriots haven't played anybody. That's because they have rendered so many teams in this second tier. Because How many teams could New England play right now where you would say, 
all right, they just beat somebody. I mean, Green Bay's on fire right now. They do have a rookie head coach, but they're on fire right now, and Aaron Rodgers is coming off a six-touchdown performance on Sunday. San Francisco looks awesome right now. New Orleans, even though they've got Teddy Bridgewater, I just told you, probably one of the three best teams in the league. But I'm already starting to reach to try and get to another answer. They are so far and beyond everybody else that to look at their schedule and simply say they haven't played anybody, that's actually a credit to them because there's not a whole lot of teams that you would call somebody because of how good they are. And I don't think that that's ever taken into consideration. And if the Tennessee Titans want to be called somebody, then they've got to take the next step. They've got to beat the bad teams that they're supposed to beat. They've got to beat the the middle-of-the-road teams where they find themselves. And then they've got to find a way to take the next step. But the first thing is stringing wins together consistently enough to be competitive on a month-to-month basis as opposed to week after week. It looks like the stock market in a very fledgling new company. Not one that's failed. I was going to make the mortgage crisis argument. That would have been bad because of that thing just continued to go down. I don't think the Titans are continuing to go down. The Titans are the line on Charlie Brown's yellow shirt. It's up. It's down. It's up. It's down. It's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. That's what the Tennessee Titans are. At some point, Nissan Stadium needs to be a mountain that continues to be climbed by the guys wearing the two-tone blue. And we'll be right back. If you have thoughts, 615-737-1045. We'll be right back. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin with you on Twitter, at jmartzone. Alabama Shakes saw them open for Jack White seven years ago at the Ryman. Still the best show I've ever seen in that building. Jason Isbell's playing night five, I think, tonight. I saw night one on Friday. If you ever get a chance, if you haven't, you need to find your way out there. Just a tremendous show. When his wife opened and just the confidence she now plays with, I've seen her a couple of times, and she looks like a star now. And this high women record that's come out with Marin Morris and Brandy Carlisle, and she actually left the show on Friday to go jam with Marin down at Ascend. But this high women album has a very, it's interesting because hopefully this will come across right. And I talk about pop culture a lot. I host the Pop 6. By the way, we put up a new episode yesterday. Uh, Brad Willis and I, my program director and good friend, uh, we talked back to the future for about an hour and five minutes. Maybe it was a little bit longer than that. We actually had anticipated we were going to do all three at once, and we couldn't do it. So we're going to do two and three in a subsequent episode. But that's something to check out. Just look up Pop 6 with Jason Martin. But I'm not somebody that generally, like, just lives and dies by female vocalists. Like if I'm listening to music, I'm generally not going to seek that out as much. But I will say that over this last two, three years, I guess in particular, maybe a little bit longer, there have been some that have come around that have definitely struck the right chord with me musically. Margot Price, certainly one of them. Uh, Amanda Shires, Jason Isbell's wife, 
certainly one of them. And then now this super group that she's formed called the High Women. And the High Women has sort of an old country vibe with a new mentality. And you can hear some Johnny Cash and some Waylon Jennings and things like that in it. And even though I'm not by any means a country music aficionado, and I don't necessarily believe that this is country as much as it as much as it is like Americana, it's worth checking out. I also think that Amanda Shires is better generally live than on her albums. I hope that one day she will release a live album. I think that will be received incredibly well. Not that her albums are bad, but there are a lot of bands that are a whole lot better live than they are on their records. But I think she's getting better and better. So check her out. I usually play her stuff. I, her and Jason's stuff plays pretty frequently during my show. On another show, a radio interview in Boston on WEEI, Tom Brady was asked this morning, as a matter of fact, what the future of his career as a New England Patriot is. And his response was illuminating. There's no answer here, but it's interesting. He says, I think that's the great part for me. I don't know. I think that's been a unique situation that I've been in. I think when you commit to a team for a certain amount of years, you kind of feel like your responsibility is to always fulfill the contract. For me, it's been good because I'm just taking it day by day and I'm enjoying what I have. I don't know what the future holds. And the great part is for me, football at this point is all borrowed time. I never expected to play 20 years. I'm playing on a great team. It's just been an incredible 20 years of my life. See, he's 42 years old, and he had talked about playing, wanting to play until he was 45. And recently, he and Giselle put their Massachusetts mansion up for sale, which led some to say, okay, well, he's going to leave. Even Adam Schefter, I think, reported that it looks like Tom Brady might be elsewhere after this season. But Brady responded to it and said, look, we, you, you put those kind of houses on the market because it takes forever to sell them. And he did just open a new TV 12 in Boston. But he went on further on the radio show and he said, one day I'll wake up and feel like that will be enough. When that day comes, that day comes. I don't know if it will be after this year. I don't know if it will be five years from now. But I don't have to determine those things right now either. That's kind of a good part where I'm at. So I think just taking advantage of the opportunity that I have this year and do the very best I can do. Those decisions come at the more appropriate times. And that led Stephen A. Smith to suggest that Brady's tired of Belichick and to let other people to suggest similar things, probably without knowing anything of what they're talking about. We've heard about Patriots' dissents for years and years and years, and all I've seen is they almost won a Super Bowl that they lost to Nick Foles and a ridiculous – Eagles team after winning a Super Bowl prior and then won one this past season and certainly look to be in the Super Bowl again. I know it's one game and somebody could get them in the playoffs, but I don't believe they've lost in Foxborough in January since 2009. And the road to the Super Bowl is going through Foxborough. But I've asked on this program before, would Tom Brady play till 45? And I thought, okay, in general, you would say no, but he hasn't been banged up that much. He hasn't been hurt that much during his career. He wins all the time. He's in the royalty of royalty as it relates to the NFL. 
I mean, I guess you would say Dallas, but the Patriots have been the the franchise, the most dominant franchise in team sports in America this century, at least professional sports, because I know some of you would say like UConn women's basketball or something like that. But how much can he win? But I thought he could play that long because I he seems to me like a guy that what else would he do? Yeah, there's TB12, and he's married to a supermodel that's always going to make five times more money than he does, which makes it easier for him not to necessarily go for the higher contracts all the time. But what else would he do? What else does Tom Brady do? We don't know anything about him. We know that he keeps it close to the vest. He has friends. He has family. He doesn't talk about them all that much. He just goes out there and plays football. But is he going to play to 45 if he's 42 right now? And should the Patriots already be looking at a contingency plan to try and figure that out? That, to me, is a question that doesn't necessarily have an answer right now. And Brady's sort of Brady's hinting, and I don't think he's trying to get money or anything like that. I think he's I think he's looking at this the way somebody that's 42 years old should, which is, I don't know, because I might get to the end of the season and feel like, what else is there for me to do here? And the answer is, by the way, nothing. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. He's going to go down as one of the most important and most recognizable athletes in the history of the country. What he's done has been such an aberration, the way he was drafted and what he's done since he's gotten there. Like, what does he have left to prove? All he's going to do is walk into Canton as a Hall of Famer. And every other great quarterback from here until the end of time is going to be compared to Tom Brady. And Peyton Manning has that, even though he doesn't have nearly as much hardware. But Peyton Manning's probably a top five quarterback in most people's books. He certainly is in my book. I don't have the list directly in front of me, but I always thought Montana would never be touched. But now I've got Brady above Montana. And John Elway's my guy as a Denver Broncos fan. And so he's right there. Peyton is in that top five to be sure. But eventually we are going to see the end of this guy's career. And right now they've been winning on defense. Now, like Monday, they won on defense against the Jets. Brady didn't even play well. We are at a point, folks, that's absolutely frightening in the AFC where Tom Brady and the offense don't have to do almost anything for them to win. Remember how they won the Super Bowl? I mean, other than Julian Edelman, what did they do offensively? Not a whole lot. And that game was a laugher against a top-flight offense. And this year's defense is the best Belichick has ever had. And so Brady can be even more just normal. He didn't have to be superhuman. And they're still 7-0. Yes, the schedule was about to get much tougher. We might be having a completely different argument seven weeks from right now. But I highly doubt it. Because I have functioning eyes. And I've been able to process the information that I've seen since he took over for an injured Drew Bledsoe near the turn of the century. I've watched enough of this act of number 12 and that dude on the sidelines that wears the hoodie to suggest that it's not all of a sudden going to go from 7-0 and to 7-7 and just because they're playing the Browns and the Ravens over the next couple of weeks. Somebody tweeted me and said, yeah, let's see what you think of these guys after they play Baltimore in two weeks. I'm still going to think they're the best team in the AFC. That's what I'm going to think. I'm still going to think they're going to the Super Bowl. That's what I'm going to go. That's what I'm going to think. And the reason why is because, yet again, 
I have paid attention to football over the last 20 years. Could they lose to Baltimore? Sure. Does that mean Baltimore's a better team than them? Absolutely not. 615-737-1045. 737-1045. Ryan Albanese is my producer. He's behind the glass. Spinning the dials radio style for me tonight. We'll take some of your phone calls when we come back. Also, I want to talk about why Kawhi is the best player in the world, which is something you've heard me say dating back to around midseason last year. We'll be right back. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back. It's the big six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin with you. At Zone on Twitter is where you find me. Tomorrow morning, you will find me with Jeff Schwartz hosting Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. You hear the first hour of that program live here before the wake-up zone takes over. That ought to be fun. We'll be reacting to the couple of NBA games, of course, that are tonight. Guys in new places, Al Horford in Philadelphia and Kimball Walker in Boston. and Then the nightcap between the Blazers and the Nuggets. And, of course, game two of the World Series. Nationals 5-4 got to Garrett Cole last night, who hadn't lost since May, I believe it was, 19 of 20. And they got him. And maybe he was due. And they have big bats. But that makes tonight feel like almost a must-win for the for the Astros. Not that they couldn't go to Washington and tear off some wins. But if you drop two with the pitching on both sides here, it's going to be tough to make that kind of comeback. So tonight you've got another one of these marquee pitching matchups between Justin Verlander in Houston and Steven Strasburg in Washington. And so we'll be reacting to that as well tomorrow on the program. John Morosi will join us from the MLB Network to break it all down. Last night in the NBA, we saw the Battle of L.A., which we're likely to see again in the playoffs, maybe in the Western Conference Finals, between the Lakers and the Clippers. And interestingly enough, looking at the ratings, last night the World Series tied its lowest ever game one rating, according to Sports Media Watch. Dropped 11% from last year among the 10 lowest-rated World Series games of any kind. Second least watched game one ever. Only ahead of 2014. Which I don't have that in front of me. I could probably try to figure it out. But I'm not going to do that. And the estimates going in were they felt like, all right, well, baseball is going to do a two-to-one here. They're going to get 12 mil in terms of viewership. And the NBA will do something like six. Well, the NBA did like 3.57. The game actually was 240% higher, game one was, than Lakers-Clippers, which is interesting, and I think that it actually might speak to something that I really have just decided I don't really want to tackle on this program, and that's the China-Hong Kong situation with what started with Daryl Morey's tweet in Houston, and then Steve Kerr talked, and Greg Popovich talked, and LeBron James talked, and there's been backlash. I remember last night I was tweeting about the game and folks were hitting me back on Twitter saying, I can't even watch this after LeBron's comments, which I thought to myself this, and I'm going to say this. I I ended up not responding to the tweet, but what I wanted to say is if you applied that to 
everything in entertainment and music and all this kind of stuff, if people say stuff either you disagree with or things that are ignorant, if you applied that, the only problem here is LeBron said it out loud. If you disagree with what he was saying, he said it out loud. But if I did not go to see movies or listen to music or anything like that from people that disagree with me politically in some way, shape, or form, I would watch no movies. I would watch no television. I would watch no sports. I would listen to virtually no music. I have to be able to just separate the thing that they do that I do care about from the other side. Now, understand, you can put your money wherever you want. But the game itself was awesome. And it was a playoff atmosphere, even though Paul George wasn't out there for the Clippers. Last year, I don't know how many times I said this, Kawhi Leonard's the best player in the NBA. And we saw it again last night. Even though he only had four points in the first quarter, he had 26 in the next three. And his mentality that he brings everywhere he goes is just something that you can't teach and it's something that you can't duplicate. When he went to Toronto, all of a sudden that team got a lot tougher a lot more tenacious. They went harder and more diligently after every loose ball. And they played with moxie, a quiet confidence, almost a silent assassin kind of deal, the way that their leader did. He leaves. He goes to the Clippers. Here's the thing about the Clippers. The Clippers didn't need it because they already had that mentality. So all he does is make it that much more of a mentality. Patrick Beverly doesn't need anybody to make him more intense and more tenacious, especially on defense. Lou Williams has had to scratch and claw to get recognition in this league. Guys like Harkless and Montrez Harrell. These are dudes that weren't supposed to be where they are right now. Weren't supposed to be that good last year. Weren't supposed to beat Golden State even once in the postseason. They were ahead of schedule, and they were ahead of schedule without necessarily having a superstar, but a collection of guys that played as a unit. And one dude that you can bring into your roster that's not going to destroy your team chemistry is Kawhi Leonard. Because Kawhi Leonard, who also, if you didn't notice, talked with a microphone in his hand before the game to the crowd, and then spoke to TNT after the win. This is a guy that we've joked about never talking. And I'm not saying he's going to go become some dude that's going to drop the Gettysburg Address, but he realizes the responsibility that he has based on the choice that he made. Technically, all he's responsible for is winning basketball games, but he knows it's a Lakers town, and if he if he wants any chance to really cut into that, It was a two-to-one Lakers crowd last night. About 66% were Lakers fans to about 33-34, even though Clippers was the logo on the floor. It was technically a Clippers home game. But it's a Lakers town. Kawhi doesn't care because Kawhi's just going to go out there and win. I looked at that team last night, and I saw yet again, people get better around that guy. If he needs to, he'll go out and give 40. He's capable. If you don't need him to, he'll do everything else and he will get you involved. And then on the flip side, you have an aging LeBron James who plays slow. You've heard Charles Barkley mention this last night, perhaps, on TNT after the game, that at the point guard spot, if that's what they want him to do, he plays slow and he's going to have to play faster. There's only two guys on that team that can create. And they may need a third. And maybe you say that's Kuzma, who wasn't able to play last night. And Catavius Caldwell-Pope was brutally bad. But they don't necessarily have that guy. 
this is going to be an intriguing mix because I was looking at that roster and Danny Green's not going to give you 28 points every night. That was an awesome performance by him. Seven of nine for three and 10 for 14 overall. But he's not capable of doing that on a consistent basis. Like what you would get from Kyle Korver one out of five games is what you're likely to get out of Danny Green one out of five games. LeBron and Anthony Davis combined to shoot 15 for 40 last night. They had a good first half, and then they, I think they were five for 18 in the second. And in the fourth quarter, LeBron James had no points, and Anthony Davis had two. That might actually be flipped. LeBron might have had two, and Anthony Davis had none. In the meantime, Danny Green kept him in the game for a little while, and then the Clippers shot him right out of it. I think the Clippers, I, I picked them right now, and I picked them before the season. I think they can win the championship and will if injuries don't derail them. I fear there's going to be an injury in Los Angeles to one of those key players. I think Anthony Davis might be one to watch on that front. But they need this LA-LA thing to hit. Because these ratings tell you right out of the gate that people aren't quite ready for the NBA to start just yet. I am because I'm a hoopster and I love it. And I watch it all the time. But it is fast. Football season is still in full swing. And one real downer is that Zion Williamson is out for eight weeks. And 14, I believe the estimate is, 14 of the games that were nationally broadcast that are coming for the Pelicans. They have over 30 because all these TV executives wanted to snatch up Zion and make sure he was on a national audience. The first 14 Pelicans games this season to have national attention, which is probably about 11 more than they had all of last year, maybe even more than that, uh, he won't be on the floor. So now you've got executives in the fetal position on the ground. 14 national games at least he's going to miss. And the way he plays with the explosiveness and at his size, I'm real worried about his knees long-term. I'm real worried about his health long-term. Him landing with that kind of mass we haven't seen it before, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work. It will work if everything is right, but if he can't be on the floor, it doesn't matter how high he can jump, how fast he is, how adept he is. If he can't be available on the floor, it honestly doesn't matter. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the program. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone, brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. Celtics early two-point lead on the Sixers. NBA's back. Seems a little quick, but I love the NBA, so I'm not going to complain. What I do want to complain about in this last three minutes or so is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, according to ESPN.com, refuting reports of interest in NFL jobs by sending a letter to parents of current players and commitments that addresses recent rumors of an exit strategy from Michigan. Writes in the letter that recent reports of him pursuing an exit strategy are, quote, total crap, unquote, and that it is, quote, an annual strategy driven by Michigan's enemies to cause disruption to our program and to negatively recruit unquote quote this is a choreographed message that comes up at this time every year before signing day this is what he told adam schefter and this is back in 2016 it's people spreading messages to further their own personal agenda but i'm on record right here right now i'm not going anywhere 
I'm staying in Michigan. We have big plans here, and there's a lot we want to accomplish. So he's asserting that people are out to harm his program. They have an intent to harm his program. I'm sure that most everybody else that's not Michigan in the Big Ten does have an intent to harm his program in some way, just like he is out there to harm everybody else's program. Right now he's doing pretty good harm to his own program. They're 5-2. and two. They've still got Ohio State, Notre Dame. That's two top ten teams, one top five team on the schedule. Michigan State still on the schedule as well. And after the loss to Penn State on Saturday, the first 85 seconds of Jim Harbaugh's press conference was ripping the officials. because, And this goes right back to this letter. And this is why I wanted to talk about this. The losses are still the losses. All Harbaugh is doing is whining and trying to find some excuse that points the finger elsewhere. And I was thinking when I read that he said, of course I'm not looking for another job. I'm not doing that at all. I'm not looking for an exit strategy. You might need to be, man, because your record's pretty much what Jim McElwain's was at Florida. Maybe he doesn't want to say that right now, but there's a Michigan recruit that's on record that said, look, if he leaves, coaches leave. It's not going to change my commitment. I know that it does in some cases. I will say that whoever they were to bring in, it's not like they're going to be necessarily better than Harbaugh, but it's about time for Michigan to back down and realize it's going to be tough for them to actually become Ohio State or become Alabama or become Clemson unless they can find that one coach out of nowhere. There are people saying, well, replace him with P.J. Fleck. He'll change it. P.J. Fleck is going to change everything at Michigan based on what? I'm not saying he's doing a bad job. I'm saying Michigan's a completely different animal with outsized expectations. And Harbaugh pointing the finger everywhere. The next time he takes responsibility for anything personally, it be on him. It's either the dirty SEC recruiting, doing underhanded tactics, or it's any time that maybe he has interest in the NFL, that gets revealed that that's programs trying to undercut him and take his recruits, and it's all skullduggery. It's not, man. And I'm not saying that he's doing it or not doing it. I'm saying that Jim Harbaugh has driven me to a place where I no longer really care about any of the insinuations or charges that he levels at people because they're feckless and don't have teeth. This is Peter crying wolf. What Peter needs to do is coach his football team and outside of that kind of keep his mouth shut. Because until they start winning games, that's all he can do is make excuses because he can't pop champagne he can't drink milk i guess that's his thing he can't celebrate anything so instead he's trying to bring everybody down by playing the victim card and that's what jim harbaugh has done consistently since he's been there he hasn't done a bad job in michigan he's just kind of been a guy and he has another top 10 recruiting class coming in next year mark my words that top 10 recruiting class and that next year michigan team that everybody's going to tout before the season you won't hear it here because I've seen this movie before. I got a stat for you that's going to blow your mind here that I want to level for you before we end the program. Let's do that. I did just see a crazy stat about the Bucks giving up less rushing yards this season to backs than the Cincinnati Bengals have to quarterbacks. That's interesting, but this one's good too. Daniel Jones, he's lost five fumbles in his first six games with the New York Giants. Eli Manning, 
lost five fumbles in his first three complete seasons with the New York Giants. I'll see you on Outkick in the Morning with Jeff Schwartz. Ball calls is next. Big Six back on Friday. Same bad time, same bad channel. Until then, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night from Nashville.